we will turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. I'll step down and uh, we will continue in a series we started uh, last week on spiritual gifts. All right, so I need to get plugged in here as we are turning to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Thank you for being up early on a Sunday morning to come and to uh, hear the Word of God taught and for us to sing together and to worship the Lord. I know that this is a topic that is much misunderstood, a lot of confusion. There is a lot of uh, video, television images, uh, all kinds of uh, different uh, ways in which this particular topic comes up. And some of you may even have a background having been in a church that uh, practiced uh, some of these, what we are referring to as temporary gifts or believes in temporary gifts. And I'm not here to just be a condemning, bashing, judgmental preacher uh, on uh, all those churches that uh, believe or practice some of these temporary gifts. Okay, There are extremes. There are extremes in those areas. Not all of them are heretics. Many of those churches will believe in the true gospel, salvation by faith alone and Christ alone. I have a good friend who uh, is uh, from a church that believes in some of these sign gifts, temporary gifts, and I believe that she's a genuine believer. Uh, I, I think that she is confused in this area, and uh, we've just come to a point years ago where we agreed to disagree, and there are certain things that we just, we don't fellowship in, or we don't, uh, uh, we just try to avoid that topic to a certain degree, but there are certain times where it comes up. Uh, my mom especially now uh, will uh, sometimes enter into a conversation with this individual but my point isn't to just be an all-out bashing, condemning of everybody who believes or in some way, shape, or form practices temporary gifts or believes in these temporary gifts. There are some excesses, whether you want to call it the third wave, whether you want to call it the charismatic movement. There are some excesses. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel comes out of this. Uh, Oral Roberts, there's a biography that has just recently uh, been published about Oral Roberts. And, of course, he was a big name in this particular area of signs and wonders and healings. And he was kind of the, the, the name that everybody recognized many years ago. And he was kind of the pioneer for the 20th century health, wealth, and prosperity gospel movement. And... Uh, we know a certain individual with a nice smile and his teeth always seem to have a little sparkle and uh, he packs out a $35,000, 35,000 person arena out in, I think in Houston, Texas. And uh, I don't even have to mention his name, but uh, let me just say that your best life isn't right now. Your best life as a believer is in the future. It's not right now. But that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel has taken... America by storm in some sense because we are a capitalist society, free market. America has enjoyed wealth. We're probably living in a time in history 
that is one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest. We can maybe go back to some other uh, kingdoms and empires and compare. But we live in a very wealthy society. America has been blessed with lots of material prosperity. So that has, I think, helped feed the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel movement. Okay, so a lot of qualification there. And I hope that that helps understand in uh, the spirit in which this is being taught. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Last week we started in Romans chapter number 12. And then here we see another chapter that deals really for the entire chapter with spiritual gifts. And we see in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. So what is that implying? That is implying that the church at Corinth was struggling with their understanding and their correct practice of spiritual gifts. He does not want them to be ignorant in this area. We know 1 Corinthians 14, he will address the gift of tongues very specifically. We'll get into that some more later. And what is the chapter that is sandwiched in between? The love chapter. Isn't that interesting? By the inspiration of God, that God has Paul write, and he deals with gifts. He gives the list. He gives a lot of uh, details about spiritual gifts in chapter 12. But then in chapter 14, when there is abuse and excess and the misuse of the gift of tongues, he has to deal with that. And he deals with it very, very discreetly and uh, lovingly, but also he has to deal with it very Strongly, he has to do some serious corrections. In 1 Corinthians 14 uh, is, in a sense, a manual for how the gift of tongues should be practiced in the church. And uh, I think a lot of those who claim to be using the gift of tongues don't follow the principles of 1 Corinthians 14. But we'll get to that later. But it's interesting that chapter 13, the gift of love, is sandwiched in between there. Because... Even spiritual gifts have a tendency, because of our sin nature, to not be used or to be practiced or to be held in humility and practiced in love. That's why in Romans 12, Paul addresses the Roman church and he says not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Down here in 1 Corinthians 12, he continues down, diversities of gifts, the same spirit, verse 4, differences of administrations, the same Lord, diversities of operations, but is the same God, manifestations of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Everybody is edified, everybody is benefited, everybody is matured spiritually, is growing spiritually as a result of the practice of these gifts. It's not about me and my likes and views and follows and sales and health and wealth and prosperity, as is often the case, unfortunately. Verse 8, for to one is given by the Spirit, and then he begins to talk about the different gifts, the word of wisdom, knowledge, faith, and then he talks about gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, so on and so forth. So, quick review, 
what is a spiritual gift. We see from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, the first term, and that is pneumatikos. And it is the phrase, spiritual gifts, one Greek word, pneumatikos, and then the King James translators insert the word gifts because that is the essence of what is being taught here. So now concerning spiritual, well, in the original language, the word pneumatikos means pertaining to the spirit, references spiritual qualities, characteristics, or abilities. So the King James translators add the word gifts for clarification, for helping us understand that word pneumatikos. I really like this definition. Divine enablements, divine enablements for ministry that the Holy Spirit gives in some measure to all believers and that are to be completely under his control and used for the building of the church to God's glory. So a little bit of a lengthy definition, but I think it really helps summarize and encapsulate all that uh, is the, the, the true definition of spiritual gifts, divine enablements. So these are not necessarily natural talents and abilities, though God may take a natural talent and ability, which is also a gift of God, isn't it? Are not our physical abilities, our natural talents, aren't those also gifts from God? Yes. But this is a divine enablement that, yes, it may enhance or incorporate our physical, our natural talents and abilities, but it is what the Holy Spirit gives. It is a gift, and it's given in some measure to all believers. Some believers have multiple gifts. Some may only have one. Uh, some may have the exercise of their gifts in a larger number or to a greater quantity. But they are to be give, they are to, excuse me, they are to be used completely under God's control, under the Spirit's control. And why? For the building of the church to God's glory. The other term that we mentioned last week is the word charisma from Romans 12, verse 6, from which we get the word charismatic. Or a person who has charisma is somebody who has maybe a lot of personality, very persuasive, uh, easy to like, whatever the case may be. It simply means a gift of the Spirit by God's grace. And some people even will name their child charis, K-A-R-I-S, and it comes from this word. So when are they received? At salvation. And then four main passages. Not that other verses, not that other passages don't reference gifts of the Holy Spirit, but these are the four main passages. Romans 12 has a list. 1 Corinthians 12 has a list. Ephesians 4 uh, has a list, as well as 1 Peter 4. And then Ephesians 2, verses 20 through 22, also make reference to the apostles and Jesus Christ being the foundation of the the, the, the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And then what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Service, edification, ministry, evangelism. Again, not likes, follows, and subscribers, members. It's not about that. It, again, it's not that we can't have those things it's not that those things can't be tools, but spiritual giftedness is not about me being a social media influencer. It's not about me lording myself over and looking down my nose and saying, well, you don't have the gifts that I do. 
look at me, I'm up here performing. It's, that's, that's not at all the case. That's not the purpose of spiritual gifts. It's about service. It's about edification, ministry, evangelism. It's others first. How do I minister to the needs of others? How do I sacrifice for others? Look at, this is a blessing to see the, the group that we have here this morning, that you were willing to sacrifice a couple of hours of sleep to come to the Lord's house on the Lord's day to hear the word of God taught and preached and to fellowship together and worship together and to exercise your gifts in the service of the church to edify one another. Even as we sing, we are speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And we are provoking one another to love and to good works. Hebrews 10, as we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as we come together, we are provoking one another to love and to good, to good works. Uh, it's, it's such a blessing to come together as a church family. There's nothing, I'm going to talk about it a lot tonight, so I don't want to preach a, well, this is the, this is the commercial for tonight's, <laughs> anyway, I don't want to take, I don't want to take everything that I want to say tonight and, and say it all now, but it just goes so hand in hand. We're members one of another. What kind of a body, what, what kind of a body would we have if we woke up in the morning and the feet said, all right, I'm ready to go. And the feet run off and get ready for work, and the body, the rest of the body stays in the bed. Well, some of us, the brain stays in the bed, right? <laughs> Just kidding. No, it would be ridiculous if the body tried to do three or four different things. No, the body works together. Even, even in, in, in so many ways, we, we have discovered things, and we're still discovering things about the brain. It's, in, it's fascinating in being in education and learning uh, some of the things that we learned about the brain and dealing with special needs, uh, children with special needs. But brain research is continuing to change because there's always, I shouldn't say always, there's been a lot of talk about right hand and left hand brain. And there's some truth to that. But the brain works in conjunction together. And even when there is brain injury, other parts of the the brain and other parts of the body that try to compensate those who uh, maybe are um, uh, hearing impaired or uh, are, are blind. Other senses often pick up and are extrasensory, uh, extra sensitive. God has a way in which the body, I mean, some of you have had organs removed. That was an important organ. It was there, but there are some organs that the body is able to still live Without that organ, but the other organs of the body help to compensate for that. Some of you are missing a gallbladder. And that does result in other digestive issues, though the other organs help compensate for that. Uh, some of you maybe don't have one of your kidneys. Can the other kidney keep the body alive? Can the other kidney? <laughs> okay. <laughs> 40 years, yeah, okay. But there's a compensation. I'm, I'm sure that you still probably feel the effects of not having that other kidney. Yeah. So there's all kinds of different ways in which the body helps the body. It's amazing. 
from the brain all the way down to the inner organs. And we'll talk about that some more tonight, but this is one of the illustrations that is used as members one of another, as a body. The nose isn't saying to the ear, ah, you ear, you don't smell like I do. <laughs> the ear isn't saying to the nose, you don't hear like I do. On and on. The heart doesn't say to the rest of the body, you wouldn't function if it weren't for me. Don't you realize? I'm the heart. And the brain isn't saying to the heart, hey, heart, you wouldn't even know what to do if it weren't for me. But don't we get that attitude sometimes in the church? We have members of the body who don't even come and ever participate with the body. That's sad. How do they then function, serve, edify, come together and share each other's uh, gifts and service and build each other up and provoke one another? I mean, we, we could go on and on. But again, spiritual gifts are to be exercised for these purposes. As members, for the profit of all, equipping, edifying, unity, and ministering to one another. All right, temporary spiritual gifts. We talked about apostle, apostle, and there are no living apostles. I'll just say it very, very quickly. I don't care what the billboard says, apostle so-and-so, and I've seen it many a time. Church advertisements, billboards, there was one on the west side of Indianapolis that for years, billboard, the apostle, and it's usually the apostle and pastor misses, if you know what I mean. Because she also is a pastor. He's the apostle and she's the pastor, I guess. I don't know how it works. But anyway, there are no living apostles. This is a temporary gift. The apostle was specific qualifications. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. Ephesians 4, verse number 11. We see this gift referenced here again. And he gave some apostles... And then Acts 2 and verse 42 refers to the apostles' doctrine. So qualifications, oops, I went too far. There we go. It's already up there. Qualifications are witness to the resurrected Christ. Acts 1 and verse 22, Acts 4 and verse 33, Acts 10 verses 38 through 41. All reference a qualification of the apostle as being a witness to the resurrected Christ. Did Paul, did Paul witness the resurrected Christ? When? And the road to Damascus, when he got saved. He was a witness to the resurrected Christ, even though he was not involved in Christ's earthly ministry like the other 11. And we know, of course, Judas was a traitor, a hypocrite, a fraud. And then 1 Corinthians 15, in verse number 8, 1 Corinthians 15, in verse number 8, that's close by to where we were. And last of all, he was seen of me as of one born out of due time. That's the reference to Paul's uh, witness of the resurrected Christ. So, personally chosen by Christ, Matthias being the only exception, a council of the eleven apostles, and from there, Matthias was, was voted. There are specific qualifications that had to be met. Matthias met those. We're not going to get into all of where Matthias' role is. He's not mentioned again in Scripture. But, Nevertheless, there was the one exception of Matthias, and that was only under a special convocation or council of the other apostles. And then thirdly, sanctioned by the miraculous. 2 Corinthians 12 
and verse number 12. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So those are the qualifications. Why no more apostles? Well, there are no more living apostles. The gift of miracles is no longer functioning. And what was the purpose of the apostles? Ephesians 2 and verse 20. What was the purpose? Establish the church. Obviously as well, we can include with the establishment of the church the canon of scripture and the way God used the apostles in writing the very words of God, the inspired word of God as the human author. We talked about that in our series on the Bible. Questions so far on that one? Or comments? No? Okay. What about prophets? Qualifications. They were to be receivers of divine truth. To be a prophet, you had to receive divine revelation directly from God. Romans 12, 6. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10 references this gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and 29, and Ephesians 4, 11. But they also functioned in the role of preaching already revealed divine truth. So that's where, again, we sometimes refer to the fact that the prophet, the gift of prophecy, functions in the role of the pastor teacher who is preaching, proclaiming already revealed divine truth. So why no more prophets? God's word is complete. There is no new divine revelation. Otherwise, how confusing would life be? How confusing would religion be? How confusing would Christianity be if every person who claimed to have the gift of prophecy could receive new revelation? That's what the, what was it, the New Apostolic Reformation, I forget the, the, the title of this group, I mentioned it, I think in here before, and they believe that they have been given new divine revelation from God, and so they have these apostolic gifts, and they are receiving divine revelation, so now they can go to churches around the world, and they can tell the pastor, I have received a revelation from God for you in how you are to lead your church. This is from God, and I'm supposed to be, I guess, getting some message from one of these new apostles, and that's going to then declare to me how I'm to shepherd Berean Baptist Church? That's baloney. I'm not, gonna, I'm not listening to some person who thinks that they have some apostolic gift, some gift of prophecy, and they're receiving divine revelation, and they come and they are now telling me how to lead the flock of God, the church of God, in this local assembly? No, no way. But that's what they are claiming they're out there. Uh, but God's word is complete. There's no new divine revelation. No man has the ability to predict future events in the exact detail that a Bible prophet did. We talked about this last week. We know that there have been people out there who claim to have prophetic gifts and have made predictions about the second coming of Christ. I forget what all. I think there were even some prophets that were predicting that Trump was going to win in 2020. Um, I think that there were people who were even claiming to be prophets of God who said Trump is going to win in 2020. And so I think that's part of the reason, I think that's part of, I'm not trying to be political, please, don't start throwing tomatoes at me. But I think that's part of the reason for some people that there is almost a 
There's, it's almost like there's a spiritual, I don't, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but it's almost at times among some followers of Trump, it's almost like there's a spiritual following because he is the ordained one who beat Hillary and he was by some prophets going to win in 2020 and therefore when he didn't, there is some sort of spiritual breach. Again, I'm not trying to be offensive and be political but there are some who are so, they treat him so godlike that it's almost like there's a spiritual or religious pull in loyalty. I'm sorry, but there is no politician who has any of my religious or spiritual loyalty. It just, my loyalty is to God, to Jesus Christ, to his word. And certainly, I won't even go there. I'm just going to be quiet. I, I've said enough. Comments or questions? Even if you disagree with me, that's okay. I just, I just have to get that off my chest because I read, I follow politics, and I just, I, sometimes I feel like there's these people that they, they almost like have endeared their soul to President Trump. I, I'm sorry, but I cannot. I cannot. There are people I love in this life, but they are not my Savior. They are not my Lord. And politicians are not in that category. <laughs> um, anyway, questions or comments? Okay, so we've really talked about these two gifts, and then I spent a little bit of time on this last week. This is, I, I realize this is a, a misunderstood topic, and I realize I'm, I'm treading on some eggshells, some, some thin ice, so to speak. But, but miracles, does God perform miracles? Sure he does. God is in the miracle working business. The gift of miracles is the ability to perform with a display of divine power, a, a, a sign, a ability, a, a display of divine power or of power above the ordinary course of nature. Someone who is given the ability to overcome even the ordinary rules of nature, of physics, to bring some sort of sign or wonder by their ability, by the flow of some supernatural ability through them. Okay. So, does God still perform miracles? Yes. But no one today has supernatural abilities. I don't care if you follow DC or if you follow Marvel, right? There's nobody with supernatural abilities. We're not looking for Batman or Spider-Man or one of these other. Okay, I'm being silly. I know I'm being silly. But there are still people out there who believe they have miracle working ability. And I don't believe the gift of miracles manifests itself in that way today. I believe it was a temporary gift for a period of time for the verification of God's word and his representatives until the Bible was complete. Now, Hebrews 1, as we, I'm going to have to turn there to make sure I quote it correctly. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners and I'm not going to say it right. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by 
his son. Four times in scripture where we see men having miracle working power, where supernatural ability flows through them to do a sign or a wonder. Moses, Elijah and Elisha, Jesus and the apostles, and then a future time in Revelation, the two prophets. It's the only time in scripture. Okay? The absence of miracles performed by a person after the apostles, a, a third reason. There's a lot there, but Earl, go ahead. Good point. Good point. So, I mentioned this last week. Are there miracle people in our lives? We use that term in a generic or general sense. They have been instrumental in our lives. A surgeon who performed a miracle-type surgery. A doctor who had insight to a particular diagnosis. A particularly gifted individual who God brought into our life at just the right time, and they were hugely influential in a positive way, in a godly way, in a good way. Are there people like that, that God gifts, that God gives to us in a gifted, in a spiritual, even in a, uh, an extraordinary way? Yes, there are. God has gifted incredible Medical doctors, physicians, um, I, I don't know, all the different titles. People who God brings into our life that were there right for us, who served and who ministered to us. We, we refer to them as, as, as miracle workers. Is that wrong? I don't think it's wrong for us to say they were miracle workers in the general sense of that. I hesitate to use those terms because I, I like to, to stick with what the gift of miracles is in the Bible. There are special people like that in our lives. We're thankful for them. Um, there's the, there's the, the verse, I think it's in Hebrews, about entertaining angels unawares. Did Abraham have the angel of God appear to him when he wasn't even realizing, didn't recognize right away? Even Joshua, for a short time, didn't even recognize the angel, the Lord of hosts. But... That person who pulled up on the side of the highway, who changed your flat tire in the middle of the night, took no money for it, and then drove off and you never saw them again, were they performing a miracle as an angel of God? Were they? <laughs> What's that? Okay. Did they do a great service? Were they sacrificial? Were they a, a good Samaritan? Sure. But to call that person an angel sent from God in the sense of they were an angelic being, a supernatural being who performed a supernatural act as the supernatural divine power of God flowed through them, I, I, I just don't think we can go there. Otherwise, we are entering into some dangerous territory. And then we begin to open up the... The idea of divine revelation and 
certain people being miracle workers, but they don't have the apostolic gifts, then we have to begin to say, well, maybe Revelation is not the end of the book of the, or end of, end of the canon of scripture. D- does that make sense? We've we got to be very, very careful. God has blessed us with incredible technology, gifted people, educated people, and some of them can do incredible things through knowledge and through God's wisdom that he's given to them. But I think we need to come short of saying that God is still giving to people miraculous, supernatural power, supernatural power flowing through them, giving them divine abilities as human beings, okay? So then that comes with another, I know, again, I'm dealing with a a controversial, much misunderstood topic here. But what is the gift of healing? The ability of a person to bring about a miraculous cure without the aid of medicine. Again, my point isn't to offend, to condemn, but we have to consider that the so-called faith healers today, they are very, very limited, and they are often very choreographed, very structured in their healing powers. All right? Let me go through these points, and then we'll come back, and we'll probably have some questions. Does God still heal? Yes. But I don't believe, again, that man has the ability to heal by supernatural power flowing through him. Gifted men and women in medicine, insight into types of procedures, types of medication, certain practices, certainly, yes. But God heals, yes. But we don't go into the doctor. I think that we wish that we could go into a doctor and the doctor could lay his or her hands on us and zap us and it would go away. We see those types of, of actions in Scripture. The raising of the dead, the raising of the lame to walk again, the blind are made to see. Um, I'm trying to think of where some of you are at. Um, Emily's in medicine. Um, Let's see here. Brenna, you're in um, a, a segment of medicine. Carly. Um, some of us have been through major surgeries. I'm probably missing somebody. But don't you wish it were that easy? They just The, the patient came in. Uh, maybe you're suffering from some sort of reoccurring disease or um, whatever it may be. It, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be nice if there were somebody we could call on and they would just lay their hands on? us or we would go to them and they would lay their hands and it would just disappear we wish we wish it would but I I watched a a documentary done by a conservative Christian group and they went to a faith healing concert program whatever service and literally in the shadows underneath the balcony were Dozens and dozens of people in wheelchairs, with canes, with walkers, and they were roped off. And the, one, of the, one of the people they interviewed was the nephew of Benny Hinn. And Costi Hinn is a Bible preacher today. And he has been very outspoken about his uncle's deception as a faith healer. 
And he said as a kid, as nephew to Benny Hinn, he watched the deception. He watched as they carefully choreographed and they, they weeded out certain people who could come onto the platform. And then this documentary showed some of these people, dozens of them in the shadows, roped off from ever being able to come up onto the platform where they could get hit in the head and they could fall into convulsions. And then supposedly they went from this to, to this. And then two weeks later, they're back to this again. But there, no one ever talks about those, right? Am I saying that there aren't healings? Sure, God heals. And there have been times where you've gone to the doctor and you go back again and something has shrunk or the numbers are better. Praise God, God heals. But the laying on of the hands, supernatural flow of energy, of power to heal somebody, don't believe that gift is in practice today. Yes? When we did it in Warsaw, we were just a few miles from a thing that uh, called Glory Walk. And uh, they taught faith healing. Uh huh. And uh, all of the members uh, practiced that. There were several deaths in that group hmm. because they would not go to the doctor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Goes to show you, doesn't it? Yeah. And there have been cases in the news where parents have been turned in to the authorities because they let their child either get sick to the point of death or to die because they refused to take him to the doctor. There were several of those yeah. from that group. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for that il illustration there. So in the gift of healing, let's look at some points here. Paul did not heal himself in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. He didn't heal Epaphroditus, who was nigh unto death for the work of Christ, Philippians 2 and verse 30. Paul left Trophimus sick at Militum in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 20. He told Timothy to use a little wine as medicine in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 23. Now we're talking about the wine of Bible times. We're not talking about the wine of today. We're not, it's not apples to apples. Number six, the Bible never teaches that good health is an indication of God's blessing. God does teach that suffering is a way of increasing our trust in him and even for spiritual cleansing. And let's go to James 5 for a minute. In verse 13, James 5 and verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. So right there in James 5 and verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him go to the faith healer. Is any among you afflicted? Let him go find the closest miracle worker. Is that what he says? He says, let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Um, we can get into all the the meanings of that, but the point is, verse 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. What is the emphasis in verse 15, in the laying on of the, the hands of the elders? What is the emphasis? The spiritual healing, the forgiveness of sins. If it be the will of God, yes, they could also physically be healed. But notice that the emphasis in verse 15 is on the 
spiritual healing, the forgiveness of sins, the spiritual cleansing. And then verse 16, confessing your faults to one another, pray from one another, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and then the example of Elijah. What's the emphasis there? Prayer. Not on getting some, not finding some faith healer, some miracle worker. Okay? So we see the, the pattern there in Scripture and the, the principles there in Scripture. Comments or questions? Yes. Yeah. The doctors do everything they can and really have no answer to Yes. Yes, exactly. There are times where the doctor doesn't even have an explanation and we have an opportunity to give a testimony. You're exactly right. And there are providential times where God allows us to be in the hospital or in the doctor's office or having a test run for something completely unrelated and then they find a cancer or a tumor or a growth or something else, and then they're able to treat that before it ever got, uh, it got worse. But let, let's, let's I, think, I think I saw Earl. I think you're on number three, so <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I'll, I'll get to you in just a second. But where, where does the ultimate healing, okay, the, the suffering, the pain, and the trials of this life, they, we get weary of them, but isn't part of that God's, design in order to do what? To do what now? Draw us to him. To point us to glory. To not read Joel Osteen's book and think that our best life has to be right now. I just gave his name away. You already knew what I was talking about. <laughs> we are so temporal minded. I just, I gotta have everything that this life has to offer. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's atheistic. That's agnostic. Our God, God made our bodies to fight for life. They ju- that's the way God made us. So for to me to live is Christ, but what? To die is gain. Suffering is hard, but the glories of heaven will make the suffering of this earth pale. We have to remind ourselves of that. Instead of looking for every faith healer, and again, we, we should take every opportunity that God avails us to get the treatment that we need. We should. But it was a hard thing when I went to the doctor and my dad, and the doctor came out and said, there's nothing more we can do for you. That was one of the hardest days of my life. God had given me scripture that morning. It was a difficult thing when the doctor called and said, there's nothing more we can do for Kelly's mom. You've been there. Many of you, you've been there. It's hard. But God gives a grace and he gives a mercy and he reminds us that there is a better life. There's a future with him. And we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. We are saved by the blood of the lamb and there is a new life in Christ that includes the glorified state and the sufferings of this earth will be small, Paul says. They will be minimal. They will pale in comparison. Sorry, I... Went longer than I thought. Earl, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, right. Yes. Yes.
Yeah, yeah, good, good point. And I remember we were in, we lived in Terre Haute for a couple years, and St. Mary of the Woods is is over there. And at that time, it was a college just for for women. I think they've opened up to men now, but just in the last uh, twenty years, they have discovered that one of the nuns was involved in some sort of miracle, and they have confirmed. So now that nun from St. Mary of the Woods is a saint. <laughs> She's now a saint? Really? Okay, anyway, they discovered some sort of miracle that she did. When, are, when, are we, when did we become saints? The day we got saved. Amen. The day we got saved. Not based on some miracle and, you know, on and on and on in these different prescriptions of the Roman Catholic Church. But yeah, there's, there's, they will find miracles, supposed miracles, years removed, and then they ordain them as a saint, sometimes many, many years after their death. It's just, it's so ridiculous. Derek, and then I think Brian, um, you had your, your hands up. <laughs> he's saying he was first, but you're gonna, he's going to defer to you. <laughs> Yes. That's good. Good. Thank you for that, Brian. Derek? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Greatest miracles that God saves sinners. Amen to that. All right. We'll, we'll stop there. Next week, we'll get into um, the, uh, the gift of tongues, and we'll begin to work our way through several points related to that and uh, different arguments related to the gift of tongues. But let's go ahead and close in prayer. And then we'll get ready for the service. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these principles that we can apply, that we can live out. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you, to love you more and to serve you better. Thank you for our time together already today. Pray you bless now the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. We'll start the service at a quarter till.